Hello again, church. We're going to be in John chapter 12 today. We finished our Ephesians series last week. We're in John 12 today. I'm a dog guy. Anybody else a dog person in here? Yeah. Anybody cat people in here? You should be ashamed of yourselves. We, uh, somebody in the office was showing me a video of this, uh, this dog and this cat this week. They're sitting on a sofa. The dog is, is sitting on the sofa, staring out the window, just standing guard over his family like a sentinel there, watching out the window, totally, totally oblivious to the cat next to him. The cat, on the other hand, is not looking out the window. The cat is just staring at the dog. And the cat hates this dog. It's written all over his face, and he's looking at the dog. He's just making these faces at the dog, and you can just tell that something is boiling up inside of him, and finally he reaches up his paw, and he puts it back down, and he reaches it up again, he puts it back down, and finally he just can't take it anymore. Reach up, and he just slaps the dog across the head, and then, of course, the cat has to run for his life, okay? You know that video has millions of views. Millions. It's a weird world we're living in. Am I right? I mean, we live in this world where a video of a cat like that can rack up millions of views in a matter of hours, right? Where these viral videos about all kinds of things just take off, and in hours, millions of people are consuming it. And it's not just cats that become famous, you know, people try to harness this social media moment for their own good, right? Try to make a name for themselves. We call those people, you know, we call them influencers. Have you heard this? You know, there's people who make their living on social media, right? They just, they just accrue enough followers, enough likes, that companies will pay them to casually promote their products and posts, like, like it makes, make it look like it's not purposeful, like you're not a big name advertiser just casually. So I was reading an article about this. It's called Influencer Culture. And here's what I read about one influencer who was paid $40,000 to casually have a soda can in the front of their live stream on Instagram, just sitting there, just, just sitting there, which is so weird. Like I, I don't, Russ, can you zoom in on... Man, Sprite, it's just so refreshing. Make sure that goes live today. I want that. It's a weird world. It kind of makes you wonder, what would Jesus have done if he had come in 2020 instead of 2,000 years ago? As it relates to this whole influencer culture, social media explosion, what would Jesus have done? Surely Jesus would have been on Instagram or Facebook, right? I mean, he had a message to get out there. Surely he would have used that for his message. I mean, can you imagine if Jesus on Instagram had had posted a before and after photo of somebody he healed from leprosy? I mean, don't you think people would have noticed that? Or if he had taken a, a picture with the woman that he saves who's caught in the act of adultery, if he covered her up, took a selfie with that, and hashtag, where did everyone go? And what if he had live streamed the calming of the waters when he stands in the bow of the boat with his disciples and says, peace be still in these tumultuous waters. 
just go totally still. Can you imagine the comment section, people debating if this really happened or if this was CGI? <laughs> or what about when he raises Lazarus from the dead? I mean, can you imagine that? Can you imagine how many retweets and shares he would have got if he had posted a video of raising some guy from the dead? It's just a hypothetical question, of course. Jesus didn't have an iPhone, but he had a lot of influence. And Jesus has a really curious relationship with his influence. At the very, very start of Jesus's ministry, just as he is taking off, he escapes from all that influence and he goes out into the desert. You remember this? And in the desert, the devil comes to him and the devil begins to tempt Jesus. And he tempts him in three ways. He knows Jesus is hungry and he tempts him to turn all these rocks into bread to eat. He, looks, he shows Jesus all the kingdoms of the world and he tells Jesus this can all be yours. And then he, he challenges Jesus to test God, to throw himself off and make sure that God catches him before he crashes to the ground. Remember that? Henry Nouwen is a, a Christian writer. He's now deceased. And he wrote about this scene with the devil and these three temptations. And he says that really these three temptations are, number one, the temptation to be relevant, <coughs> to make what people most need. Number two, the temptation to be popular, to be known among all the kingdoms of the world. And number three, the temptation to be powerful, to do something unmistakable and remarkable and to be known for it. And Jesus denies the devil three times. Each of these temptations, he, he turns from those and goes the other way. Which, if you'll leave that on the screen for just one more second, aren't those three things exactly what everyone on social media is pursuing? <laughs> Relevance, popularity, some form of power accrued by people knowing you. Like in this influencer culture, those aren't bad things. Those are what we want. And Jesus denies the devil three times. Okay, so then we're going to come to today's text. And we're starting a new series today. You saw it on the screen behind me called Countdown. And what we are doing is we're looking at the last week of Jesus's life. We're starting on Sunday, which we're looking at today, the triumphal entry. And we're counting down the days until the following Sunday when Jesus is resurrected to new life. We're going to celebrate that on Easter Sunday together. Let me set the stage for what happens on that first day of the last week of Jesus' life. Jesus rides into Jerusalem on a donkey. Okay. And as he does that, Jerusalem is a powder keg. It is ready to explode. Jerusalem at time of Passover, when Jesus is coming in, it quadruples in size. There are people here from all over the world. Jerusalem is just a powder keg of energy waiting to explode. And so in this moment that Jesus rides into town, what you're going to see is a moment where Jesus has all kinds of influence. I mean, his influence is at its peak as he rides into town like a king, like an influencer. Let's look at this scene starting in John 12, verse 12. The next day, the great crowd that had come for the festival heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. They took palm branches and they went out to meet him shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the King of Israel. And Jesus found a young donkey and he sat on it. As it's written, don't be afraid, daughter Zion. See, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. And at first his disciples didn't understand all this, only after Jesus was glorified, 
did they realize that these things had been written about him and that these things had been done to him. Now the crowd that was with him when he called Lazarus from the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to spread the word. Many people, because they had heard that he had performed this sign, went out to meet him. And so the Pharisees said to one another, look at this, see, this is getting us nowhere. Look how the whole world has gone after him. Okay, what's, what's going on in this passage? There's a lot going on, more than I can really explain. But in short, as Jesus rides into town on this donkey, he's fulfilling prophecy after prophecy about how Israel's long-awaited king would come to town. But that's not why everyone's showing up. They're getting caught up as they see these things unfold before them, and they're realizing what this means. But why do they all show up? It's because Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. And that's cool. That's impressive. Apparently, Jesus did not post that on social media, but somebody did. That's what we have here is this scene of people going and spreading this, okay? These, these people who are spreading the influence of Jesus. His influence is at a high at this moment, so much so that the Pharisees look at him with resentment because he has all the likes and follows and retweets they don't have. And look what they say. They say, look, the whole world is going after him. He's got all the influence. Look, very next scene. Now, there were some Greeks among those who went up to worship at the festival. They came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, with the request, Sir, they said, we would like to see Jesus. And Philip went to tell Andrew, and Andrew and Philip, in turn, told Jesus. Right? Everybody wants to see Jesus. You know, the scene immediately after the Pharisees say the whole world's going after him, the very next scene proves it. Yeah, even Greeks want to see him too. He's got all kinds of influence. He's got, the, he's got the world in the palm of his hand at this moment. Well, maybe. You know, the thing about influence is that to keep it, you have to be who the people you're influencing want you to be. We tend to think about influence as something that I have. And when I have influence, I have the world or this group or these people in the palm of my hand. And Jesus pushes against that. Because I think that Jesus knows to have influence is not to have the world in the palm of your hand. To have influence is to be in the palm of the world's hand. You know, the people who are on social media icons only stay that way because they pretend to be the people we need them to be. Approachable, honest, casually drinking Sprite like the rest of us. They pretend to be what we want them to be. So here's what I wonder. I wonder which moment is more tempting for Jesus. The moment with the devil in the desert or the moment he rides into Jerusalem with everyone cheering for him. Okay, because think about this. The temptation is the same. The temptation is the exact same. The temptation here is the temptation to be relevant, powerful, and popular. The same one that the devil tempts him with. And I think what we tell ourselves is, well, if the devil came to me and was tempting me, it'd be pretty easy to turn him down because he's the devil. Like the red horns would be a giveaway, you know, the trident fork, I would know and I would resist. But can you imagine 
Can you imagine if you were walking down this center aisle here and everybody stood up and was cheering for you at that moment? Or if we had been lining Houston Levy as you pulled in this morning and everybody was cheering for you, there's Mike McGraw, it's Mike McGraw. Can you believe Mike would do anything we wanted him to do at that moment, right? You know what I'm talking about? And so would you, so would I. It's, we think it's so easy to turn down the devil, but how much harder would it be to turn down all these people who are cheering for you? But again, Jesus shuts it down. He doesn't want to be relevant or powerful or popular. This is what he says. Look what he says in reply to the Greeks who approach him. He says this, Jesus replied, the hour has come for the son of man to be glorified. Very truly, I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. And anyone who loves their life will lose it. While anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me. And where I am, my servant will also be. My father will honor the one who serves me. <clears throat> Jesus talks about a kernel of wheat here. And so I went out and I found a kernel of, of wheat. Actually, this is a cashew. That's what that is. <laughs> Kernels of wheat are harder to come by than cashews, turns out. But you can go with me here. You know the thing about a kernel of wheat, and I didn't know this. Um, I did some research about a kernel of wheat. You know, you know what wheat makes, what kernels of wheat make, don't you? Flour. Flour. You know what flour makes? Bread and cake. And these are a few of my favorite things. You know what I'm talking about? Okay. Did you know that a kernel of wheat that 98% of that kernel of wheat can be taken and ground up to make flour. And what you and I want from our kernels of wheat is what? Cake and bread. What we want from those kernels of wheat is flour. You know, though, that 2% of a kernel of wheat, so small you couldn't even see it, is what we call the germ. You know, you know what the germ is? It's not the thing I'm recovering from right now. The germ... It's this thing that when the seed falls to the ground and dies, the germ is what gives life to new wheat plants, okay? So the thing about wheat is, by God's grace, he gave us a plant that makes bread and cake, okay? But that's not why a kernel of wheat was made. A kernel of wheat was made because it's a seed. It was made to fall to the ground to die to produce more seeds, like a kernel of wheat is made for one thing, to die. And in dying, to reproduce. Okay. Now, here's what I want you to do. You know, those of us who are growing up in this influencer culture, I want you to stop and pay attention to that for a second. What he has to say about a kernel of wheat. Because what he's saying is, there is so much of you, and there is so much of me, that wants to be who the world wants me to be. And if we allow the world to dictate what we were made for, they will do it. And we will spend our lives trying to seek influence, trying to win friends and influence people. But that is not why we were made. We were not made to, to collect the world's honor, the world's likes. What Jesus tells us here is that you and I were made for one reason, and that's to collect the Father's honor. Right? That's why we're made. 
And what he says is, if you want to collect the Father's honor, then what you have to do is to die. What's he talking about? Does he mean you are actually going to die in service to Christ? You know, imagine with me, if you will, how some of the early readers of this would have heard this story. So these early readers who were suffering persecution, what do you think this story would have meant to them? I think in our modern world, it's really hard. We differentiate ourselves from maybe what might be the real cost of following Jesus. But we were reminded of that several months ago in Fort Worth when that shooter opens fire and he kills a man holding a communion tray. You could die in service to Christ. I've been talking to Hunter, our, our missionary who's from Wuhan, China, doing mission work there. Fortunately, he's in Canada right now with his family. And I asked him about the brothers and sisters in the church, if any of them have contracted the coronavirus. And he said, not yet. He said, Eric, I really need the Highland Church to be praying. He said, many of our Christians in the little churches that he's working with, many are medical workers. And so every day, my brothers and sisters in Christ are going into these hospitals and caring for people, and they may get sick and they may die. He told me that I was reminded of some of the earliest Christians in the third century who stayed in Rome when this plague broke out to care for those who were dying because nobody else would stay. We may die in service to Christ. But in the New Testament, our death is often, it's metaphorical. It's this idea of totally surrendering your will to God. What he says here about letting go of all those things about your life that you love, if you can surrender yourself fully to the will of God and not cling to those things you love, that that, then that is its own kind of death. But for Jesus, it was not metaphorical at all. It was real. And notice what he says next as he's facing his death in just a few days. He says this, Now my soul is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? No, it was for this very reason I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Whoa. Have you ever read that before? You know, facing his death, Jesus does not pray that God would heal him, that God would stop this. Here, what Jesus prays is, Father, glorify your name. I tell you, I don't know if I'm ready to pray that prayer. And I don't know that any of us really know if we are ready to pray that until our backs are against the wall. I mean, can you imagine a scenario where you might need to give your life and service to Christ? Would you be willing in that moment to say, Father, glorify your name? That's all I want, glorify your name. You know, we live in this world that has conditioned us to seek popularity and relevance and power. In other words, the world wants you and I to make ourselves indispensable, to make ourselves influential. But Jesus wants us to be disposable. I mean, think about how different that message is from the one you receive every day from everyone around you. Make yourself matter. Make people need you. Be reliable. Be always there. Always say the right thing. Be needed. 
And Jesus says, just be disposable. That's what I need. I need you to be willing to give yourself for my purposes, no matter what it costs you. I need you like a seed of wheat to at every moment be willing to die that the Father might be glorified. Now, are you ready to pray that prayer? I'll tell you, I don't know if I am. I asked our staff this week, I told them about this sermon, what Jesus is calling us to in the sermon. I asked them, can you, can you tell me some stories from Highlanders who are praying this prayer in their life right now? Father, just glorify your name. Just glorify your name. And you should have seen the whiteboard in there. It was full of stories of Highlander after Highlander who has faced these really difficult search situations, these, these, these moments where they didn't know what was going to come next. And they sought to control it maybe for a moment. And then they just surrendered and they just prayed to God, Father, glorify your name. And we just had this board full of people at this church who were praying that. It's so encouraging to me. And Lawan, our women's minister, reminded me of a story of a Highland couple, Jamie and Alan Henry. We're going to watch their video. We made this video about a year ago. It's slightly dated now. We never showed it. We showed it for a special event, but we haven't shown it to you all. And here's this example of these two people who faced something they were not expecting. And what he texted me this week, I asked if we could tell this story. And he said, Eric, I don't know about this. And it has not always been easy. And we are not like heroes or anything like that. And it has been hard many times. And I told him, okay, if you were proud of what you'd done, I wouldn't want to tell the story. <laughs> okay. But I want you to pay attention to what they pray in this story. Let's watch it behind me. You're so much bigger than this. God has been working in my life recently is through my family. We recently adopted our niece, Jordan, who is five. Jordan came to visit us this summer just for a two-week visit, and due to some really bad circumstances at her home life, she ended up staying um, since July, and she's now a part of our family. As we learned about the severity of her living situation, we knew we couldn't remain uninvolved. We had to do something, but we didn't know what to do. We wrestled with what was in her best interest and what was in the best interest of our family with our young children, and we were really conflicted. We sought some advice from some trusted people, and actually my great-grandmother gave us a piece of advice that really, really helped our situation. She told us to pray for God to make His will known to us, because once you know you're doing what God has asked you to do, you just have to obey. Then when you know you're, you're just asked to obey, you just kind of take what comes, and that's been really helpful for us. I have to say that I feel I've seen God working the most within our family. I see God in the way that my other two children have just taken to our new family situation and just shown love and grace and mercy. I see God in the way that Jordan has already taken to us and call us mom and dad and call our children her brother and sister. 
I see God in the way that our Highland family has surrounded us with love, support, and so much generosity. Every need has been met even before we knew there was a need that was going to need to be met. I see God in the way that He can make plans for me that I could have never made for myself. His plans have exceeded what I could have thought. There's a quote that I've really taken to heart lately. It is, the less we live by our plans and the more we live by God's plans, the more dramatically we can see His hand in our lives. This quote reminds me of Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, where we are reminded to trust in the Lord and turn to His understandings and He will guide our paths. This sometimes messy, mixed up family that we have now was not designed by our plan at all, but God's plan is greater and we're grateful just to be a part of it. inside as you watch that video? Don't you feel this desire to want to do something like that? To have the courage to pray, God, whatever you want for me, whatever you want for my family, I just want you to glorify your name. You, you know what that feeling is you're feeling inside? You know what? That's influence is what that is. You know, what Jesus says immediately after this is that when he is lifted up, it's then that all the world will come to him. It's not that Jesus never wanted to be influential in our world. It's just that he knew that true influence wouldn't be by manipulation. It would be by surrender and sacrifice. And so can you imagine a church full of people like this? I mean, you, can, you, can you imagine a church full of people who knew the reason they were made, who knew the reason, as Jesus said, that they had come to this hour, who when they were facing some crisis, some unknown, some difficult circumstance in life, when they were trying desperately to discern the will of God, can you imagine a church full of people who knew what to pray in that moment, who did not pray that God would spare them from that, that God would take this from them? Can you imagine a church full of people who in a moment like that and in every moment like that prayed one thing, Father, glorify your name. I think that church would be influential indeed. Let's stand and worship today. If you haven't given your life to Jesus and want to do so this morning, I'll receive you down here. Well, we also have shepherds in the back who can pray for you. Let's stand and sing. We will glorify the King of kings.